Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Mike Henry, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Hey, I'm glad to be here. It's a lot cooler than I thought. I thought it would be burning hell, which is where we're promised to go if we don't obey whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I've always been taught that the Center of the Universe is Ashland, Virginia. Mike, and so that's where I am right now. And when you talk to me, you're effectively in the center of the universe. That uh, I'll go with that for a while. Let's do it. Yeah, no, um, no, fl- no flames. Uh, you, all good vibes here. All right, good. I like that. I like that. I'm in, I'm in California, so I'm far away from Ashland. I just moved out here from Richmond. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you reaching out. Looking forward to chatting. Are you in L.A. proper or are you out in one of the counties? I am I am in the center of Hollywood right now. Uh, really, my office, yes. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm right here in the belly of the beast. Well, let's get this out of the way. Uh, traffic is ridiculous. Can you describe trying to get anywhere in LA traffic? Uh, yeah. So you just kind of got to know where to go uh, or when not to go certain places. So for me. I just don't try to go downtown after 3 p.m. because going east into downtown, which is about maybe eight, 10 miles at the most, would take you, you know, hour and a half. Um, so you just you figure out where to go and and you just sort of gauge it. I actually went to the Cowboys Chargers game last night. I know that this is not going to air today, but um, Cowboys Chargers game two Monday nights ago for people who are now listening. Uh, and it it took almost an hour to get the you know the five miles to the stadium because it was the wrong time. But we planned on that and just you know you just got to go to your happy place, the center of the universe. Nice. Uh, was that your first time going to SoFi? Uh, second time. Went out there last year and saw the Cowboys play the Rams, and then um, went last night with some friends. Hung out with Shady McCoy from uh, former Eagles running back. So that was nice. kind of cool. He was a nice dude. And went with some friends, uh, or a friend from college, and his son. So, are you are you a Cowboys fan? I am, unfortunately, a Cowboys fan. I but it's I'm not as severe as I used to be. It used to be very important to me in my life, particularly as a kid, uh, and then later in my 20s when they were good. We, I guess they're not good enough now for it to be important because if I feel like they can win the Super Bowl, then I'm really going to be paying attention to you know other teams' records and blah blah blah. But you know, now it's just, it's not really my life. So I just go and enjoy it as a casual fan. And then when they score, I jump up and yell, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, and then when something bad happens, I was like, I don't really care. I really do. I, yeah. That's how I, I, I have a very similar approach to my uh, favorite sports teams. Okay. Who are your teams? Uh, well, in football, it's T- Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's a long, right. long, boring story how I got there. But how did you become a Cowboys fan? Um, when I was little in the 70s, they had Drew Pearson, Roger Staubach, and the cheerleaders. And, um, you know, stars on their helmets. And they were against the Redskins, which, you know, I was, I was you know, grew up in Richmond. And I'm sort of always going against the grain a little bit, anti-establishment. So, if you can call Cowboys anti-establishment, they were in my childhood brain. Uh, and the cheerleaders were hot, and I had posters of them all over my walls when I was younger. Yeah, they they uh, they figured that out before anybody else did. Yeah, uh, no male cheerleaders on the Cowboys squad yet. <laughs> it's probably a good move. Haven't seen that yet. Yeah, probably a really good move. All right, you mentioned Richmond, you but you were not born in Richmond. You, you were born elsewhere. Where Where were you born? I was born in Pontiac, Michigan, outside of Detroit. My father was in graduate school at that time uh, for sculpture at the Cranbrook Academy. And he made clay models, which is how they designed or they implemented their designs or looked at their designs in 3D D for GM back mm-hmm. in the day. And he and my mother lived in the garage apartment of the chairman of GM when I was born. And then when I was two, he graduated and got a job uh, teaching sculpture at VCU in 1968. So moved to Richmond and that's, that's been home other than California since. Yeah. So you, uh, you don't have any memories of living in Pontiac? No, no, just, uh, just escaping 
my mother's womb through the warm <laughs> walls and then out into the cold world with a slap and a cigarette butt in the doctor's mouth. And yeah, it was a different time back then. It was. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, all right. So Richmond, uh, I imagine you have fond memories of Richmond uh, and I imagine part of you still wants to be here. Is that, is that a fair statement? Um, I have fond memories of Richmond. I really do. I, I love Richmond. You know, I spent a lot of time there. Like I said, I just moved back out to California and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's always going to be home, you know, home, home, but, um, you know, there, there's a lot more for me to do out here in California. Um, you know, professionally, I am, I'm eager to spread my wings a little bit and I'm out here doing some networking and some creating in my little office here. And, um, you know, I, I love Richmond, but I'm very much embracing the opportunity and the lifestyle that is Southern California, the weather. My wife, Sarah and I are both very active and like organic food and, uh, you know, sports. We saw Sting a couple of weeks ago at the Hollywood Bowl. Saw U2 short plane ride away at the Sphere uh, a week before that. And short poke to boulder colorado where my son is in college so you know there's a lot a lot going on here and it's it's a it's a great time for us so i'm happy to be here but a little little bit of me misses richmond well before we explore uh you growing up in richmond you mentioned the sphere that thing seems crazy what's it like actually being there uh it's absolutely unbelievable and uh we went I've seen you two every tour since 85. They're definitely top, top two, three bands of mine. And um, just absolutely spectacular. At one point, it looks like you're in the middle of the desert. And then another point, you are in the middle of the Vegas Strip. The graphics are amazing. The sound, they call it immersive sound. And it's absolutely true. You don't sense where it's coming from. There's not a big bank of speakers on either side of the stage, that type of thing. It is just happening and it's truly reality meets i guess what you would call ai and it's awesome and uh if you go i recommend shrooming nice okay fair enough uh and to see you too at the sphere had to be like incredible really cool yeah yeah absolutely incredible it's it's um you know one of my favorite albums or my favorite album from my favorite band it just rocks and you know, it, it was awesome. So go to the sphere and take shrooms. Anyway, right. uh, I like it. It's good advice. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you and I went to rival schools. Are, are you a K through 12 guy at collegiate? I was seven through 12. I went to Montessori school and then to Mayberry Elementary in the West End for fifth and sixth. And then uh, my good friend Gordon Statinius was on my little league team and his father was chairman of the board and introduced us to the notion of financial aid which made me going to collegiate possible. So I'm a seven through 12 er, um, you know, and you know, I'm not going to trash the saints. I'm, I'm, I'm way, <laughs> way beyond all that. So, you know, well, I, I certainly did not intend to uh, insult you by attacking the Cougars either. Oh no, 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 no. But you know, it's uh, I, I'm, I'm fine. I, I don't, I don't attach myself to my, or myself to, um, to teams or things like that, except for the the Cowboys who who did win last they, night. They, they um, did uh, for the listeners two Mondays I ago. Really, I really don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, so I went to St. Christopher's in eighth grade. Uh, oh, it's, okay. a, it's an awkward time for a for a boy, right? Your puberty's beginning, sort of thing. Yep. Uh, and you went to a co-ed school, or was it? Yeah, it was co-ed for you, right? Uh, no, we we were boys' school and girls' school. Oh, and we had hard. some co-ed classes late in high school. Yeah, so uh, awkward, and then you're not showing your awkwardness to the opposite sex until right. 11th or 12th grade. Was that a weird transition for you in 7th grade? Uh, not at all. You know, when uh, you got to – when the babes is nearby, you find a way to connect. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't even know what that was, but, uh, <laughs> not really. It was more awkward for me because we didn't have any money and I felt like I was at school with all the rich kids. So I had like three collared shirts that I rotated 
uh, <laughs> in the dress code there and, um, you know, just sort of pretended that that we were rich, too. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting mix, right, because there is a lot of wealth at those schools, um, a lot of really good people. Uh, there's no shame on them that, that they. Oh, yeah. Happen to have money. But, yeah, I was on financial aid as well. And there's it's just a different vibe at a, at a place like Collegiate or a place like St. Christopher's. Not, not yeah. really bad or good, just different. Well, it's, I mean, it is, it's its own thing and it truly is not easy being a teenager anywhere. I'm sure, you know, if you really break it down, everyone's extremely insecure and fronting as the kids say. And uh, yeah, so all in all collegiate taught me a lot of great things. There were a lot of great uh, sort of uh, paternal figures. My dad was a Sunday guy, I would see him on Sundays, but then the rest of the week I would, you know, look up to some of these teachers and they had the honor system, which, you know, I wasn't inclined to steal and cheat anyway, but it just, you know, it forged a lot of good character and like anything, you take the good and you don't worry about the bad. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, all right. So I, I applied to small liberal arts colleges and large public universities. I ended up going to a, a larger public university, but I, but I, it was a close call between that school and Washington and Lee. Did I make a mistake by not going to Washington and Lee? So you went to a large public university. Can we call that an LPU? What's is an LPU? Right? Sure. Yeah. Well, public university? I'm just we, kidding. What, yeah, what is? No, that's perfect. Where, where did you go? Virginia. Ah, yeah, you made a mistake. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You must have been smart because I was in the last all-male class at WNL, and I think the average SAT was around 1,000, uh, and then it went up to 1,300 for the next admitted class. And um, we we proudly called ourselves the last class with, with balls, and we still call ourselves that. I <laughs> uh, just had my 35th reunion in May, and... Um, you know, WNL is a great little place. And again, it, you could you could criticize, you know, anything about anywhere. And, you know, it, it's caught some flack recently about its history and, you know, the names on the school and all that. But, you know, again, honor system, great people there, great education, you know, very open thinking is encouraged there, believe it or not. And, um, you know, I was in the fraternity. I was rush chairman. I was president of my whole class for three years and was just there to kind of build a great resume and go out into the workforce and, and kick some butt. And, you know, a year into my advertising career, I realized that I did not care at all about advertising. And I left the Martin agency to pursue fame and fortune in Hollywood. Hey, which is where I am right now. Yeah. Look at that. And you're, and you're still making it happen. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So Washington Lee, cause you and I are three years apart. When I looked uh, I had this sense that I barely got in uh, and I, I took a tour before I, I got the decision and there happened to be one female that was on our path and they said, let's go talk to her. I'm like, we, so we asked her fun questions like, what was your GPA in high school? It was like, whatever the highest number was, that's what her GPA was. What was yeah. your SAT scores? Well, I missed two questions. That, I only got a 1580 or just, just right. nutty. And I'm like, I'm not sure I want to go to a school that has like 17 brilliant women. I mean, there's, there's a ton of value in that probably, but not for an 18 year old version of me. No way. Right. Right. Well, you know, you, uh, you went with your gut. Yeah. Well, it, it worked out. We're, I'm talking to you now, Mike. I mean, what, the, hey, right back at you, Paul. I'm, I'm on a good path, I think. Uh, all right. Yeah, so man. after a year at the Martin AC, you, you're just like, I have to go do was it just something else or did you have a pretty good idea what you wanted to do? Well, I mean, in all honesty, I always was sort of like the the mischief maker, the funny guy, the the guy that would imitate the teachers and everyone else in the room when we're hanging out in college. And I, I always sort of suppressed that because I didn't feel it was a viable way to to go live a normal life. I, I really wanted to have a normal family because my parents were divorced and they were artists and it was not, you know, it wasn't the happiest environment growing up. People, you know, my, my mom did a great job raising my brother and me and my dad was always there and much more so later in life. So I was at this place where I felt like I just wanted to be like all the other collegiate kids 
with their parents and the BMWs and the nice clothes and, you know, houses and all that. So that's why I chose WNL. And I love WNL. I love my friends from there. Still, I was with one last night at the game. Um, and, uh, you know, but it just didn't, I, I wanted to be creative. I, there was, my creativity was, was screaming to get out. And I was sort of just pretending to be like everybody else. And at the Martin agency, I just realized, I mean, <laughs> and I don't know why it took me this, but it's like, ah, this is all just, uh, just fronting. This is a, a profit deal as Steve Martin would say in the, the jerk. Um, it's like, we're selling stuff and it's, utterly compromised creatively, at least in my opinion. And, you know, I just, I didn't want to be where my boss's boss was 10 years from then. And I just started making jokes. I would prank call my boss as the client. I would, um, they were doing a newspaper spread for us West, the phone company, where on one side of the page, the headline was your business's phone system without our product. And it was like a handsaw. And on the other page, it was with our product and it was a chainsaw and a rowboat and a motorboat. And so I had the artist draw one up where on the, on the, without our product side, it was like a cupped hand. And then on the side with our product, it was a naked lady spread Eagle. And I he put that in. And so my boss is looking through them before the presentation and he gets to that one and just looks at me and goes, are you sure you're in the right business? And I was like, no. So I quit. I just quit and moved to Hollywood. Oh my gosh. Uh, so you were 23, 24 when you moved to Hollywood? I was 24. Yeah. Uh, did it, did you feel like you were being gutsy or you you're just doing something that came to you naturally? I honestly felt like I did what I had to do and I was having a great time. Like I did all through college. I, you know, I partied a lot and drank and smoked weed and just, you know, just chase, chase girls around, <laughs> ran away from them. Uh, but you know, and I started, that was just my life working at the agency. And it was kind of like getting through the workday BS. And then we'd all go out and play softball and, you know, go out drinking all night. And, you know, it was just, I became, I felt like I, I really, I just needed to go. And um, it dawned on me when I saw David Lynch's Wild at Heart, which is still one of my mm -hmm. favorite movies. And I've got the poster on the wall right here. But um it inspired me because I realized if David Lynch could be so avant-garde and weird and out there with what was on his mind and he turned it into art that was celebrated as, you know, the, the Palme d'Or at Con, the Con Film Festival. And, you know, I was just like, you know what, I can, I'm, I'm only going to live once. And so I literally just went and gave six weeks notice, which amazingly they let me do because that just meant I was going to party for six more weeks and not care. And, um, and then I jumped in my Jetta and I drove it out to California and I had a thousand dollars and I spent 600 of it by the time I got to California and went and I stayed on someone's couch for three nights and got a room for rent off the UCLA bulletin board and started waiting tables and doing, I took a stand up comedy workshop and I just, I, I felt like I just needed to go be funny. And that's all that I cared about. And I realized that I didn't have a wife and I wasn't, didn't have a serious girlfriend at that point and didn't have kids. The only responsibility I had was my $338 a month Jetta payment, which uh, somehow I'd gotten myself into. And so I, I just, I took the leap. And to be honest with you, when I first got to LA at age 24, I had left this high profile job for Richmond. Uh, where I would wear a, a pink shirt and a yellow tie. And I had what was then called a secretary. And, uh, you know, it, I had a lot of cachet. I was a big fish in a small pond situation. Not, I don't mean that in any way as a criticism of Richmond or the Martin agency, but it was, I just knew that there was so much more for me. And um, when I got out here, I went basically into the fetal position for several weeks. I was just like, what have I done? I don't know. I don't have any credentials. I don't know how to really write comedy. I don't, you know, whatever. And, you know, the first thing I did was I just started running every day and I dropped like 15 pounds of beer weight in a month and a half and really just had my ears open. And I went to the bookstore that was the industry bookstore and I read books about the, the industry and about acting and uh, stand up. I took the stand up comedy workshop based on a book that I read. And um, 
took an improv class at UCLA, took a screenwriting class at UCLA. And, you know, I got in this class and I'm just like, this is like a night class and it's all non-professional people. And the teacher had like one love boat story credit to his name. And that was, that, that's who I was learning from. So I realized immediately it was going to be a long road. And I also decided that I was going to enjoy the ride. And, you know, I loosened up and got out of that fetal position, got myself out there and started waiting tables and just, you know, really, I, you know, I believe in God. I don't believe in religion. So I've, you know, prayed a lot just for guidance and just what do I do? And, you know, I feel like that really worked for me. And then eight short years later, Family Guy happened. Yeah, well, and you had run into Seth McFarlane before then, right? Yeah, I um, I actually was in L.A. for three years and I put all my stuff in storage. I was doing stand up at like coffee shops and I had a few sets at the improv on Melrose and, and they had a Santa Monica improv and those all went well. But I was so I was a fledgling. I, I was not about to start making money in the industry based on what I was doing in stand up. So I moved home and rented an apartment down uh, near Stella's on Lafayette or right around the corner from Stella's and uh, started shooting stuff. I produced commercials. I produced um you know, industrial videos. I did all that stuff um, because I wanted to learn how to actually make stuff. And, you know, there you couldn't shoot a, an edit of anything on your phone back then. You had to hire, you know, somebody that had a beta cam or, uh, you know, and an avid to edit on. And so I sort of just tapped into my, my ad agency connections and worked for the smaller agencies who would let me you know, work there and be a little more free. The Martin agency was very dedicated. You know, you want to be a writer, you're a writer. You want to be a producer, you're a producer. And I was like, well, I don't really want to be either of those in advertising, but I just want to make stuff. And so, so I started shooting commercial parodies. I acted in my brother Patrick's films up at the Rhode Island School of Design. And that's where I met Seth McFarlane. And then a couple of years later, moved to New York with a great demo tape based on these commercial parodies I had, had shot. And I also, my brother and I shot a commercial for the Texas-Wisconsin Border Cafe, which uh, which you can actually see on uh, crossidetv.com. That's that's a website that has a bunch of my stuff on it. And um, we won best in show at the Richmond Advertising Show. We beat, beat the, uh, the behemoth Martin Agency and all their big budget ads with our little $5,000 comedy spot. Um, then went to New York, hustled, did stuff with Upright Citizens Brigade, um, had all these great little, you know, these little comedy shorts that I had shot and was shooting with my brother and Lauren Michaels got a hold of them. And so we shot a bunch of stuff for him. And I was getting pretty close to being on SNL when Seth called and said, Hey, I sold the cartoon to Fox. You want to come to LA? And, um, I had helped him with some of the jokes and the presentation for Family Guy. And so, you know, I strongly considered not doing that because I wanted to, you know, be on SNL. But then I said, all right, let's do it. And I was out of debt very quickly, uh, thanks to, to a TV union gig. And, um, you know, that was 1998. So I set out in 1990 to do comedy. And I did a lot of fun, cool, funny stuff. Um, but then 98 was when Family Guy happened. So it was that was my 10,000 hours um, of, of becoming an expert at comedy, which, you know, I, I was ready for the chance when I got it. So I'm glad that it took that long. Yeah, 10,000 10, hours is, is uh, right, I think, for 99 percent of humanity. I, I think there's one percent of the population that tends to be a little bit luckier than that. But, yeah, you, yeah. you stay true to it because you you obviously are a funny guy and you enjoy comedy either as someone making other people laugh or, or just laughing yourself. Um, and so the idea when you went out there was just do comedy in almost any form. The form didn't matter as much as la getting laughs mattered. It sounds like. Well, you know, at that point, I think I decided to listen to my instincts. And so, you know, recently my wife and I made a similar decision to, 
you know, we just followed our instincts to move back to LA. So there's instinct and then there's logic. The logic or logistics is how you work out how to follow your instincts. So I, I just went with what I knew. You know, I, I signed up for that screenwriting class at UCLA and an improv class and an American Film Institute, like film production seminar. Those were, that was all I knew to do at the time. And so I, that's what I did. And then I heard about Samuel French Bookstore, which was on Sunset Boulevard. And so I went there and, you know, I think you have to have your antenna up as, as Rick Rubin would say, um, I think the act of being the creative act, I can't remember the name of Rick Rubin's new book, but it's awesome. Uh, it's called, yeah, the creative act I've got it on my shelf. And, um, it's all about having your antenna up and paying attention to what's going on around you and or catching an idea, you know, just hearing overhearing a, somebody telling a story or, or a piece of information or noticing a, a bright color on a billboard and it inspiring some thought. You know, I think when I talk to young people, I encourage them to to listen to what's inside them and just let that guide you and then keep that antenna up to listen to, you know, that, that becomes the, the, the informer for your decisions as you come to little forks in the road or that you don't even necessarily recognize as forks in the road. You just, again, I, I, I took the, took, took those classes, found that bookstore, and then I would find individual things at the bookstore. I found the Judy Carter stand-up comedy workbook. And so I did that and I called the number in it and I signed up for the workshop and I, you know, it was the kind of thing where you go do five minutes. There's like eight people in the class and everybody would get up and be funny for five minutes or try to. Everyone would critique it. Then the next week you'd come back a little more polished and then blah, blah, blah. At the sixth week, you'd be in a comedy club inviting friends and family. And then it was also open to the public. So I did that. And that led me to friendships that I still have uh, and an apartment that I later had through a friend there. So you just, I don't know, in my opinion, there you know, you can go the, the well-traveled route or traditional routes. Um, but in my opinion, we're all going to die, do what you want to do and enjoy it and be kind to people. Like that's, that's really all I, I know to do. And if you make decisions based on what's most important to you, I made a decision to go back to Richmond at one point because my son was there and, uh, you know, his mom and I had, got divorced. And so I, I just moved. I was like, that's the most important thing to me. The work will find a way. And it sure did. I was still able to do all of my family guy and Cleveland show work remotely or by coastally. And, you know, the same thing. Now we made a big decision to move out here just based on family reasons and, and wanting to do stuff ourselves. So if you, you know, just listen to yourself and, and don't get complacent. We were I was living in, in the West End for a long time and it was beautiful. We had a beautiful home, but it wasn't inspiring. And I just felt like I was getting old and um, I actually didn't feel like I was getting old. I felt like I was buying time for the end of my life. I felt like I was sort of on hold. So I know I'm just I'm just kind of rambling here, but no, I, no, I, no, it's good stuff. So, Mike, <clears throat> one thing that strikes me about you is when you said you should be nice to people, there's not a lot you're getting out of this experience with me, I imagine, but you're a nice guy. And you said, sure, you asked, I'll do it. Um, I was promised um, <laughs> sexual favors for this. I don't, I'm still waiting. Um, no. <laughs> the other thing I noticed uh, was you are very free. Uh, you are freer than uh, most people I run into. Okay. Like, which I, is awesome. I, I, I yeah. aspire to uh, to be in that place someday. Why do you say that? Why do you what, what makes you say that? I've, I feel I've lived in. Uh, you should do shrooms at, at uh, when you go here to see a concert. Like well, I, 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 I agree. You. I, agree. Yeah. I agree. I totally yeah. agree. But I I grew up the same generation you you grew up in, and uh, I'm an army guy. I've been in corporate America for thirty plus years. Uh, yeah, my brain's been conditioned differently. I think than yours probably has, and you yours is through a lot of decisions that you allowed yourself to make where I maybe didn't open myself up to those opportunities along the way. Well, let me say it's not too late if you're feeling any remorse or, or like you want to be a little freer. If, um, and I, I tell that to anybody it's, it's, um, you know, there's, 
again, we're all, we're all going to die. You know, like I, I don't, I'm not buying into, um, I'm fortunate, extremely fortunate that I get to make jokes for a living and was lucky enough to get in on the ground floor of family guy and, and have my voice be heard literally. And, you know, also my comedic sensibility, you know, ingrained into it. So, you know, and that never would have happened had I stayed, you know, as an account executive at the, the Martin agency. But, um, but I, I, you know, I think for anyone who may be listening, who's thinking about taking some kind of chance, just calculate it. And, you know, if you're, if you're really great at skipping rocks across a lake, maybe you need a side hustle to pay the bills. You know, like it's, you, you have to be practical about whatever. And I remember when I first set out in the acting, I was like, so looked at like SAG Screen Actors Guild day rates. And at the time it was like, you know, $600 for being, uh, you know, a day for being on a TV show. And I'm just like, how does anybody work enough days to really make that work? I just didn't know. And then I started hearing later about, you know, deals when you get a show built around you or, you know, whatever. Once, once you become a profitable entity and that you're earning money for, the studio or whatever, that's when you start getting your big paychecks. But I didn't even know that. And I didn't know, I, I liked The Simpsons. I wasn't obsessed with The Simpsons. I wanted to be on SNL when I set out and there was no family guy. So I was going down this road hard and it was, I was getting there. And then this other opportunity. So I guess you could say I was free and that I didn't have the blinders on for SNL. And I have my antenna up and I said, Hey, this sounds like a great opportunity. And I can go live in a one room apartment right on the beach in Santa Monica that my friend from the Judy Carter workshop from seven years prior hooked me up with. So it's all about, you know, I, I it, it's all about finding your way. And then you start finding comfort in what you're doing because you have a little history doing it. Like the, the route that I drive to my office now, I just got this office two weeks ago. It's the same route that I drove from my one rented room when I first hit LA to the American Film Institute. I just drove down Sunset Boulevard. So now as I'm doing that drive, it feels sort of like home for me. So, you know, it's, it truly is about just, you don't worry about it. We're going to freaking die, you know, like truly. Like we, we let go of this huge house that we had built and all of our stuff, like we got rid of so much stuff. And as I was joking with the downsizing, these women that would come and help us get rid of stuff, I just said, you know, like, I'm not going to die all at once at the end. I'm dying a little bit right now. You know, I'm just letting go of stuff like I, and you don't need it. And, you know, you take what you need and, and go live and, and don't eat too many carbs, but do eat shrooms. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Uh, SNL was the idea you were going to be uh, an actor or a writer yeah. or both? I want both. I wanted to be cast. And I had some characters that I was fleshing out and, um, you know, in a relationship with a lot of the people there. They had saw seen some of the shorts that that Patrick and I made. And, um, you know, we were in. And so maybe one day I'll be hosting SNL uh, as I, you know, am the star of the independent film that I want to make. I, I love that. So I have a, a, a day in the life sort of question, but I don't know if I want to ask, what did you do yesterday? What was your day like yesterday? Or what is a typical week like? Or what is it like being you over the course of a year? Um, well, yesterday I got up and had some coffee, took my daughter to the bus stop. Then I went home and I came down to my office and unpacked a few things again it's a new office and what did i do i did something i did i did a little bit of writing where I'm, I'm setting up a podcast just like you i may pick your brain on some technical aspects at some point but um you know was was talking with some people here and then i went home and met my friend tommy from washington and lee and his son and we ubered out to sofi and went to the chargers game but um cowboys chargers but cooler than that the day before I had just gotten back from Boulder visiting my son and I had some more stuff to bring to my office. So I brought it down here and my office is located right next to a recording studio. So when I got here, there was a, a bunch of people outside. So I knew somebody big was in there and it was Post Malone. So that was kind of cool. And literally as I was driving, he came up on the 
playlist in my car that just, you know, a satellite playlist. And so I was like, all right, well, this is cool. And I met the guy that produces his stuff and had a great conversation connected with him. And um, so, yeah, like that, that's why I'm here. I'm here to just meet inspiring people and not necessarily comedy people either. I, I, people get niched in things and um, I like being around super creative people that aren't necessarily doing what I'm doing. Yeah, Post Malone uh, is a wildly creative guy, and he should not be pigeonholed into any one thing, just like you and I shouldn't be pigeonholed into any one thing. Yeah, be free. Be free. No, I, I love that. Have you thought a, a, a lot about what it what your life would have been like if you'd been on SNL, if you had taken the, the other path? Um, you know, I don't worry too much about that. You know, it's like if I, of course, I'm like, well, shit, you know, I, I would have been there before Jason Sudeikis or before, you know, whoever else. And I would have had my run. But, you know, I could have also, you know, stepped off the subway and gotten stabbed to death. I don't know what that path would have, you know, where that would have taken me. I'm very happy with the path that I've chosen, of, you know, on the you know personal front, relationships front. You know, you, you got to shit the bed you know, on those to become better and find the right person. And I certainly have that now. And, you know, I just, I don't throw the term blessed around, but I'm so freaking blessed. I, I get to make comedy. I've wonderful wife uh, who we just, we have fun all the time and, and my kids are happy and we're healthy and, and that's today, you know, and I know that anything can change at any point, but you know, I'm just doing everything I can to, to stay healthy and, and help people. And, you know, that that's that's something I can do. I just I live with gratitude and want to help, you know, whoever. So what are the projects you're working on now that you can talk about? Um, well, I want to do this podcast. When COVID first happened, I did sort of an Instagram live talk show. I in, you know interviewed famous friends four nights a week for like six weeks. And I really enjoyed it. And we talked about our paths to, you know, the things I've been touching on today. And um, I really liked that and it got a good response. So literally I've got my microphones, I got one camera, I got to get another camera and we're, we're figuring out what to do. And then I'll just invite my cool, funny friends over one at a time and we'll just have conversations and get that up. Um, but then also there's there's a feature film that I want to make that, um, you know, it's just hard now. Comedy, I haven't really laughed very hard at a comedy that's come out in a while. And I feel like a lot of a lot of what's out there feels formulaic or, you know, checking boxes or, or what, how, however you want to frame it. But I want to put something out there that's authentic and just simple and funny and, you know, that has nothing to do with any of the conflict that's punched it punching us in the face all day every day when you turn something on yeah i, I would love for you to make a, an amazing uh comedy uh i i'll, I'll absolutely go see it I, I think the last really good comedy and you can check me on this Step Brothers, maybe <laughs> that's that was a good one yeah um, that was a while ago it was a while ago fleabag was very funny the series um i don't know if you saw that um but that that's the first joke of that series will will hook you um, it's, it's a really, really funny, uh, I think it was six episodes, maybe a couple seasons of six episodes each. That's another way to go. I, you know, again, I'm just in this situation where I spent so much time and energy moving and now I'm literally finally here in this office and, you know, I'm sort of at ground zero for the next thing. I have a, a movie that I wrote that I will do some rewriting on, but it might turn into something completely different. I'm just... The big thing for me is just the discipline. I need to just come here and sit here and close the curtain and, you know, just create, just write, write, write. So that's what, that, that's where I'm at. And you, and you enjoy writing? Um, yeah. I mean, it's getting your thoughts out. I, I meditate as well. I do uh, TM, Transcendental Meditation. I, got to meet one of my heroes, David Lynch, the filmmaker. He did his voice on the Cleveland show and he introduced me to a guy named David Pullman who trained me in TM. And, you know, when you sit for 20 minutes silently, all of the stuff just blows away. It's like your mind is covered in post-it notes. And if you know that you can't do anything for 20 minutes and you're sitting there and you have a mantra that you say whenever to yourself 
either quietly or out loud, you have this mantra that grounds you whenever you realize you're thinking of too much of it. And you're like, oh, I got to get to this meeting. I wonder how the traffic is, you know, at blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, all right. I, and you just repeat your mantra. So you basically get to this place where you're not thinking. So you're just sort of there. And it's a great, you know, way to just keep your mind clear. And then you sit and write. And it's like whatever whatever comes to you. The, the Artist's Way is another great tool, which is a book by Julia Cameron, which, which I've, I've used in the past, where for a month you get up every day. The first thing you do after you've had your coffee and void yourself or whatever is, is write three pages longhand in a notebook. You don't read them. You stuff them in an envelope. At the end of the month, you read all of it. And so day one, you're like, I need to write three pages. This is going to, I don't know if this is going to be worthwhile. You know, this coffee tastes great. Why do I like coffee so much? You know, I need to call the doctor and get this wart removed. I've got to, you know, uh, stop having random sex with people and getting warts. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, you're like, you, uh, that's not the kind of wart I was talking about. Uh, but, you know, but you're just dumping your, whatever's on your mind. The logistics, we spend so much time worrying about the shit we got to do all day. Um, and then like, you'll throw one little nugget in that says like, I see a man walking down the street in a rainstorm. He looks tired, you know, and then that's day one. As you're reading them at the end, day 30, you're reading this whole three pages you've written about that tired man walking through the rainstorm and where he's coming from and where he's headed. And, you know, he meets a beautiful woman along the way that invites him in and cooks for him and you know like whatever it is you you get again those post-it notes this the clutter the daily just the crap that you have to deal with um but you find a much better way to manage all that by shutting it out and making time to deal with that stuff and therefore making time to be creative like you know just getting it all out so you have room to be creative so yeah ramble 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 no no it makes a ton of sense uh <laughs> I kind of want to uh, go back to your podcast idea. I do want to go back to your podcast idea. Yeah. So I, I've been doing this for three and a half years. I've it's all word of mouth. Uh, I I'm not spending any money to get the word out. I'm yeah. not investing any time or money in social media. Um, but there's something about a famous person talking to another famous person. Can, can you? What is that? Is why do we love? familiar faces. I, I guess maybe that's the better way to think about it. Um, well, I think it's it, it sort of, I have two different thoughts on that. One is familiar face, fam familiarity is comforting. And, you know, that's why we like traditions. That's why we celebrate holidays. That's why we, you know, uh, have our rituals, you know, where there's, there's great comfort in that. And honestly, I feel like that is a lot of what I've freed myself from. And, and our, Holidays have evolved and, you know, I don't try to keep every single Christmas ornament from, you know, every, you know, like there, you, you have to, you have to evolve and um, stay rooted in, in your past, but you have to, you have to, to let yourself move forward. So that's one thing, but I'd say two famous people, your famous people are intriguing. I mean, they're, they're people who I don't necessarily think are all that, but if I see them in person, I'm like, I feel like I really want to talk to that person. You know, like there's something, there is something about it. And it's like, what is that quality about them that, you know, has put them out there this much? I think a lot of it is charisma. And I think fame or notoriety, you know, in the, the best way it can come is if you're charismatic, because I've been on set, you know, sets before where there's a very charismatic actor and the stand-in looks like them and is, you know, a lot of the same physical qualities, but there's an absent quality. So it's there, there is, you know, some people, there's just a, an energy that, that they have. And I think it's interesting to listen to those people talk and it's, you know, listen, you know, and if you're listening to two or more of those people sharing ideas, you know, then that's, I think that's what we feed off of. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I think your your uh, podcast is going to do really well. So a lot of your comedy has been uh, behind the scenes, uh, not obvious, not super visual. I mean, 
the thing that I think most people would associate you with is being a voice actor for the, the family guy in the Cleveland show. Uh, do you get recognized on the street? It's funny. I had this conversation with, with a uh, post Malone's guy the other day. Cause, uh, no, I don't, I've been recognized like a handful of times, at least that I know, you know, that people have, have approached me. Um, and it's, it's the greatest thing because if I'm walking down the street with, you know, whoever, Seth Green or Craig Robinson, you know, people that I've, I've hung out with and, and do hang out with socially, you know, they're constantly, you know, people are coming up and want a picture and saying stuff and whatever. And, and there's there's something cool about that. But there's also that, that seems like it would really get old and really become something that you have to, you know, an adjustment you have to make. And honestly, I'm not concerned with that because I'm, I'm just trying to be my authentic self. And hopefully, you know, if, if whatever I do where my face is involved, <laughs> you know, if my face gets out there, then I'm just going to do my best to be me. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll try to use that in the best possible way to just be a positive influence out there. Yeah. I I've met a handful of what I would call semi-famous to famous people. And they're all extremely nice. They've all been really nice. And I'm like, have I gotten lucky? Cause I've, I've heard horror stories about just people just screaming, like, like I imagine famous people scream at the paparazzi kind of thing. Right. Um, it takes, I would imagine it takes a lot to be that nice and that humble seeming to that many people all the time. If, you, if, uh, well, you're you have, basically everybody, you have good energy. So I don't, you know, I, you're not the kind of guy that's going to, you know, be like, Hey, fuck off. You know, like it's not, you know, like, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to pick up this hooker over here. If you could please leave me alone. No, it's, uh, you know, I think, it's just about how you you handle yourself. And I've I've been, you know, in an elevator with super famous people. And, you know, you just you just, you know, what I'll say is like, love what you do, man. You know, just, you know, hope you're having a great day. You know, just like just whatever. There's some something about me that feels compelled to say something, um, but not in a fawning way, you know, and if I've met, I've met people that have influenced my comedy and I say, I said, man, you're such a huge influence on me. Thank you. Yeah. You know, how about the, you know, how about the game or how about the, you know, like whatever. And then that's it. But I, I do feel compelled to throw that, that little just acknowledgement without being over the top. It's probably exactly what they uh, crave and appreciate. Right. Who, who, who wouldn't want to hear that? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you've dedicated your life to performing and, you know, putting, putting yourself out there, you know, you, some part of you wants that feedback. All right. Uh, what's the difference between LA and Richmond? Top of mind. Uh, weather, um, mindset. I think, um, Richmond is a comfortable place. Richmond is a, um, you know, to me there's, there's comfort there, but there it's, it's not a place full of adventure. Um, you know, I think LA to me is opportunity um it's it's all those things it's the weather the organic food the the one fun thing out here is you know the best looking girl and the best looking guy from every small town in america has been coming out here over 100 years to get famous and they're all breeding and they're all continuing to come out here and it's just you know there's just a lot of good looking people out here which is <laughs> that's where they all are yeah, it's it's true. And it's, you know, and, and honestly, there's a mindset out here that's at least what I tap into is that, you know, physical fitness and, and healthy eating. And, you know, I'm going to this nutritionist now and there's like all these, you know, it's just in my mind, people are out here trying to be the best version of themselves or, or go for something that's really important to them. And that, that, those are the people that I gravitate to. So that, that out here is, is abundant. They're creative and they're striving. Sounds like it's right up your alley. Not, not settling. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for the comfort of home and not putting, you know, a, a lot of people don't take that leap, as you said at the beginning, because they just, there's, it's not a lack of courage. It's a lack of where you're supposed to be. I think everyone makes their own decisions for the right reasons. And, you know, it, I hope that people don't live in regret. You know, that's the last thing that I would ever want to do. 
So, you know, I think it's, it's really a matter of getting to know yourself and just making, making decisions for the right reasons. I know you got to go in a few minutes, Mike, uh, tell me about your, your kids and your, and your wife. (laughs) Uh, my son, Jack went to collegiate. He's at Boulder now. He's awesome. I just visited with him. He's having a blast. My daughter Josie is 16 and she goes to high school out here and is the sweetest person in the world. And my wife, Sarah, is from Richmond. She went to Thomas Dale. We met um, in the same condo complex out in the West End when I would go visit my son. And uh, she is the best. She is the angel in my life. We have a blast together. We've been doing all these concerts and you know, we'll work out together this afternoon with our trainer out in the garage. And, um, you know, it's those, those are, you know, those are the people that, that inspire me every day. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy with all that. And, um, you know, I blessed, man, I just feel blessed. No, it's awesome. Mike, I appreciate you doing this for me. I will gladly yeah. help you with any technical questions you may have uh i look forward to to checking out your podcast when you when you put it out there yeah man well i look forward to to watching this and uh i wish you all the best and i I think what you're doing is really cool and i i think what i want to do is talk to all kinds of people whether they're a big famous musician or you know the the guy that's that's the handyman in the office complex you know it's always to me, I always thought it'd be interesting when I was in Richmond. Let me let me interview the the CEO of of the the law firm or the main partner, and let me introduce you know. Let me also interview the janitor. You know, I think everyone is of equal value, and you know, as long as people are good, sometimes you see the happiest people in the world seem to have these crappy jobs, but they're just always positive and always happy. And then you see super successful people who are not happy. Um, those aren't rules of, you know, guidelines, but those are just examples of, of things. And I just, I want to, I want to stay on that positivity and talk to the people that are, you know, feeling good. Yeah. You and I share the, that, uh, desire or that, uh, craving to go talk to every man. And then the famous person, the highly accomplished somebody who struggled and and made their way to a better place. Yeah. The the happy person in the bad job. Yeah. all, All of the above. Yeah. It doesn't matter because we're all going to (laughs) die. Enjoy the ride. Be kind. Do what you want to do. Help everyone else do that. Well, awesome, Mike. I appreciate you doing this, man. I really do. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com. Thank you.